Amen. Hey, we're so glad to have you here today at Sanctuary. And uh, we've been in a series called Being Present. And this series has really spun off with being present with God. What does it mean to be a Christian, a believer who is so engaged with God that it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but it's a 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just experience the presence of God. So being present with God as an individual. And we're talking about being present with God as our families that really... uh, Church starts in the home, and you should, we should have as much Holy Spirit at home as we do at church, and that church will be better and more loving and more Spirit-filled as our homes and our families are more loving and Spirit-filled. And we're only as Christian as we are at home. You can't be just Christian here. You have to be Christian at home, too. And so that's, we talked about that, and then we've talked about uh, being present in our, our, in the, as an individual, in our family Uh, And we're going to get into today being present in the community, being present in our community. uh, And what does that look like today? And so if you have your Bibles, uh, join with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, being present in the community. Uh, We have some nurses and some different medical professionals here today, and they can tell you, or maybe you're CPR certified, but uh, in CPR training, one of the steps of that training is to point at someone and tell them to what? Call 911. You assess the scene, and then you pick somebody out in the audience to say, you, you call 911. Why is that? Why is it that someone has to be told, because there's an accident there in Louisiana. Someone's gotten bitten by an alligator, right? And, and this is the, con- I'm getting it in the context, right? So s- someone gets bitten by an alligator. My first reaction is thinking, oh, wow, I need to call somebody, right? But in a crowd, do you know that most of the time that never happens? That's why they had to put that in there. In fact, this is called, uh, there's a psychological term for it. It's called diffusion of responsibility, That in a crowd, somebody, the natural crowd mentality is that, oh, someone else is going to take care of that. Probably you experience this, moms, in your homes all the time. All the dishes and all the sink and everything's on the countertops. And there's someone in the home is thinking, oh, someone else is going to take care of that, right? Nobody has a clue what I'm talking about, do they? I mean, that's just the way it works. Maybe you're at work. Everybody leaves, you know, you had this big long day and all this stuff is leaving out. And everybody walks out the door and you're the last one out and they know you are going to take care of that, right? Because that's the way people in a group setting think. Uh, it's called a diffusion of responsibility. And some uh, psycholo- uh, psychology today says when a task is placed before a group of people, there's a strong tendency for each individual to assume someone else will take responsibility for it, and therefore no one does. Uh, even goes on to say that ultimately most people, without a direct and personal call to action, will fail to act in a group. And sometimes this is called the bystander effect. And you, you've probably seen YouTube videos or uh, What Would You Do? That's a very popular TV show that, that people put in scenarios and they put somebody there and say, what would you do if you found the kid on the street? Or uh, if you watch these YouTube videos or on the news sometimes, you'll see in China there'll be someone injured on the side of the road in a major city. And all these people just walking on by. And everybody will just go on their day just assuming well, the next person will handle that, or someone who's better equipped will handle that, or maybe I don't know what's going on. And there's even studies out uh, on murders that people will have heard some noise in the middle of the night, and the neighbors all heard it, but nobody calls for help because they assume, oh, somebody else, one of my other neighbors probably is going to handle that, or somebody else is in the know, and things will go on like that. And so sometimes 
We come to a situation, maybe it's somebody in need, maybe it's not something as drastic as a murder, but some kind of situation, there's some task to be done. We may not feel we're qualified, we may feel maybe we're just too busy with our own lives. Sometimes we're just always on autopilot, we're mindless, I've got my to-do list around me and I just bypass, I don't even notice the needs. And sometimes, some people are just thinking, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. That's the mentality of so many. Would you just keep on going if you saw someone in need or dying? And every single one of you right now is thinking, well, of course I would stop and help somebody, right? We're all going to assume that we would. But let's take it to the spiritual side. I see someone in need. I see someone dying. I'm going to call 911. I hope I will. But how many times do I pass people on the street as a Christian, as a person who believes in Jesus Christ, and people are spiritually in need and dying, and they need a lifeline to Jesus Christ? And we all assume, well, someone else in their family probably will invite them to church. Someone else that has a better know of who they are will bring them an invite or or talk to them about it. I'm not the right person. I'm not qualified. I don't know their situation, and it's not my problem. How many times have we passed so many people by? Do you know that uh, the American church is seeing less than half of all the baptisms it did over 50 years ago? We see half of the baptisms in the American church that we did 50 years ago. And there's a lot of reasons for it. It's been said, the American Christians, that we have no sense of urgency to reach the lost. It's been said our strategies become more you come rather than we go. Uh, Maybe some have outsourced this great commission to professional pastors or paid staff. Maybe it's just that we're too busy with our own lives. And we go to the program of church. We rely on our church Uh, to do this, that we're no longer these bold disciples who are trained to talk to people. Maybe you're scared you'll offend someone. And ultimately, many have said it's really because church has now become more about coming and getting your needs met rather than you going out and meeting the needs of the lost. One author even said it this way. He said, Jesus calls people to be fishers of men, but we prefer to watch. Some of us guys would kill to go fishing and get out of work. Uh, But in the Christian world, in the Christian world, that we prefer to watch other people fish. We prefer to watch other people be engaged with what God's doing. We're going to talk this morning about being a believer who truly loves God and is present in their community by the power of the Holy Spirit loving people. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And we're going to talk about this a little bit different way because let me be honest. As a person who is naturally timid and shy and an introvert, that's my natural self, when someone talks to me about talking to other people, I naturally want to retreat and hide. Uh, That is just not something that uh, I have been born with, and that's something that God has grown me and helped me and pushed me in. And so I want to talk to you really about this evangelism in a different way today, because maybe here you're here today, and maybe you're the one that needs a lifeline. Maybe today you're the person uh, that is needing someone to call 911 for you in a heavenly sense and that you need help today. Maybe today that you're not at the place of feeling bold and powerful to talk to people and maybe you don't know a lot of the Bible. It's okay. I don't, wherever you are today, we just want you to understand that Jesus has made a way for you to be who God wants you to be. And he's going to give you all the tools and resources you need. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says this. 
A lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So here's the main question. What do I got to do to live forever? What do I have to do to go to heaven? And he says to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? Well, why don't you read the Bible? Read it for yourself. What's it say? And he answered. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, Yes, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So that's how you're going to go to heaven. Do this and you'll live. But he wants to justify himself. So he says to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, well, let me give you a story here. A man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. All right. And he fell among the robbers. They stripped him and they beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when they saw when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to that place and saw him. Now, Levite is a, a priestly person like like we would say our deacons in our churches today, right? Uh, and he came to that place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, this is a half-Jew, a half-breed, a person who a Jew would consider unholy, who had their own version of the Bible, who didn't go with uh, the Jews. And, and there's this big racial discrimination here. It says that a Samaritan, a no-gooder, was on a journey and came up upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, so giving him medicine. And on him he put his own, on his own beast, he put him on his own donkey, and he brought him into an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, two days full wage, two days of his working wage. And he gave him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And then Jesus says, now go and do the same. It's more about being than doing. It's more about being than doing. Uh, We all want to justify ourselves. This man wanted to justify, well, Jesus, how religious of a person do I have to be? Okay, I get I got to love God. Okay, I get I got to love my neighbor. But let me find that line. But God, where, how, how neighborly, won't you be my neighbor? How neighborly do I have to be? He says, what, what do you get out of this story? What do you see in this story? And the, Jesus begins to tell this story, and it's a spiritual thing. And he began to reveal this man had secret prejudice. He said, well, would you talk to a black person? Would you talk to a Chinese person? Would you talk to a homosexual? Would you talk to uh, an illegal immigrant? Would you talk to a Democrat? Would you talk to Donald Trump? I don't know. Who would you not talk to? And he says, who would you not show compassion to? Who would you not love? And he says, well, there's a lot of religious people who will walk on the other side of the street and they can think themselves a priest or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a worship leader. And yet... They didn't feel compassion. And it says in this moment, the difference in this story was a person who had God-like compassion. And ultimately, we know this story is about Jesus going past religion to come and bind the wounds of a broken and left-for-dead people. 
And that's you and that's me. Right here in this room, we have people with hurts, with pains, with bruises, with scars. People have passed you by. People have walked past you. Religious people have burned you. Churches maybe have shunned you. People have disappointed you. But Jesus comes and he comes with compassion to love you, to bind your wounds, to heal you, to bring you into his father's house, provide all of your needs and then abundantly beyond that. That's the story of us. And he's, Jesus is revealing this to this man and saying, guess what? We're all the broken people. And they thank God for a father who sent his son because he so loved the world. So do we love others? Because he says, hey, do you want to go to heaven? How many of you want to go to heaven? Great. That'd be a great place to go. A lot better than the other place called hell, which flames and never end. Worm does not die. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a bad place. Read about it some. He says, do you want to go to heaven? He says, yes, love God with everything you've got and then love your neighbor like yourself. That means every person who's like you and not like you. Everybody, every person, love them as yourself. He says, if you do this, then that is what is going to qualify your heart for heaven. So we should share the gospel, not because it's a program or a strategy. It's because we love people. Because I love my God and I love people. But how many times do I fear people? I have had more mistakes and misses probably in my life, especially early on, of, of missing those divine opportunities and having those regrets of people. Man, I really wish I would have talked to that person about God. I mean, I really think that was somebody I was supposed to talk to or, or pray with or go up to. But because of fear and because of pride, I cared more about what they thought or what people would think about me than I did about how much I love that person. How many times do we do that, that we fear what people might think in our work or our schools? So we go on by, we fear people more than love them. And meanwhile, their souls are headed to eternal damnation. And Jesus comes, he's serious about evangelism. And after all, that's why he came. So he could preach this good news of God's love that whomsoever would not die, but have everlasting life, that every person might hear that today is a day of salvation, that God has come to bind your wounds, to heal the broken heart, to set the captive free, that he loves you with an everlasting love. When men on this earth have not loved you and and people have shunned you and hurt you, that man, he is here to love you. And so Jesus comes, he's serious about evangelism. He says, man, I'm going to establish the church, and then I'm going to put apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And he's going to raise them up, and, and that's one of the big offices. And we sometimes we see that in our churches. We see a guy come, and he speaks, and he'll write a book, and he'll ask for money, and we think, oh, that's an evangelist. Okay, but is that what Jesus was meaning? Is that where we think about evangelists? Is that where we go to and think, well, there are evangelists, but I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a person. I, I can't go door to door and talk to people. I'm not a person that goes up to strangers, and I don't know the Bible and quotes and verses. But is that what Jesus is talking about? Because think about this. The Bible says, because of Christ's compassion, he was with his disciples one day in a town, and he began to see, and he saw all the flocks of people who were hurting and who were broken. It says that he felt compassion for them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and his heart broke for them. And he says, now listen to me, disciples. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers into the field. Because today, the, the timing is now, the season is ripe. Today's the day that God wants to save people. And he says, I'm looking for more people who'll join this cause. And even go to the next chapter in Matthew, it says, not only did he tell him, hey, pray for more of us. 
He says, okay, now let's send out 70 of you. And the Bible says he sent out 70, he commissioned them, he charged them. Go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, uh, cast out the demons, and go by faith. Don't even take any money. Go by simple faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they came back and they said, Lord, man, all this awesome stuff happened. And Jesus is excited because he's prayed. Now 70 have come. Now they're going out. He's saying, go to town to town. Go house to house. Bless people. Tell them the good news. Go to the next town. Go to the next house. That's God's love pushing forward saying, I want to know people. I want to heal people. I want to help people. And then he goes, and at the end of the the whole thing, one of the last thing he says on the face of this earth is something we call the Great Commission. It's a great charge. It's like when a police officer takes that oath and they put that badge to, to protect and serve. That's what he says. I'm charging you. I'm putting this badge upon you, this authority on you. I'm giving you this authority. All authority has been given to me. Now I give that authority to you, and I'm charging you with a duty. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of me, just like a police officer has a badge, there's a duty, a code there that has to be a part of this call. And he says that you would go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he goes on, he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And guess what? I'm going to be with you to the end always. That you wouldn't be doing it alone. All of this is because it's birthed out of a love for you. Aren't you glad that someone years ago before you planted a church for you to be here? today, or or someone uh, saved your mom or your dad or an uncle or an aunt or maybe a friend, and that friend was led to the Lord by somebody, and that friend was led to the Lord by somebody, and that all of this has continued because God wanted people to love other people enough to care for your soul. Aren't you glad the apostles didn't drop the ball and say, oh, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of scared about talking to somebody about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of timid, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. That they took the charge, they accepted the call, because it's really loving plus going equals the eternal life. And that's a challenge for me. Again, as an introvert, man, it's hard to go out and talk to people. So I'm, I'm looking in the scripture, God, what do I got to do to be able to do this? You know, we all have so much to do in a given day, and there's only so much time. Many of us, we've got to care for our families. We've got to pay our bills. You've got to study. You've got to cook. You clean. Maybe you've got to go shopping. You've got to mow. You've got to pick up and take your kids places. There's all these things, and, and all of that has a deadline. Something's got to be done tonight for that thing. You've got that thing tomorrow, and we get that thing next week. Don't forget, honey, we've got to do this, this, and this before that thing comes up on Thursday. And this is our lives. This is the American dream, right? It's all about being busy and having no time for anything. That's what we founding fathers saved us nation for, right? We're so busy. But yet, what if I look at this and say, God, but, but if I'm too busy for the greatest command to love God and love people, and I'm too busy for the greatest commission by the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence, who sent his only son to die for my sin, that I wouldn't go to hell. And if I don't have time for his word, maybe I'm a little too busy. Because the man who spoke dust into people and he formed it with his own hand and he breathed life into it and he keeps this world revolving and the sun coming and the moon coming and the rain and and he and he does all of this just by the power of his word 
And then that very word comes to earth, born of a virgin, becomes a man, comes into this world and takes my sin. And then he sends me the Holy Spirit. And and the very last thing he says to us is, love people enough to go. But God, I got that soccer practice. I got that baseball game. God, I got that shopping to do. God, I got those things to go. God, I'm on house. I got to paint the shutters. We just, all the things we got to do. But are we presently engaging with God and with others? Because that is the most important thing according to the man who made you. It's not a thing we do. It's who we are. I'm going to give you six things real quick. Six principles for the six other days of the week. Six things that are really not be, are doing, but are being. Because sometimes it's real easy to think about evangelism through a church lens. Okay, we have our, our programs at a church. We've got our outreach as a church. We've got benevolence. And, you know, even this week we've been able to meet needs in our community and help people with utility assistance. And we're going to be giving Christmas presents to people uh, this week. And we send missionary things around the world. We do a lot of evangelism as a body. But what about just being people who love other people in the community and in the world around us. And so I think we need six other principles each day for every part of the week. Because study says, the Huffington Post wrote this, it said that people on the average, of average American is on autopilot 47% of the time. How many people can attest to that? In your work, you're just zoned out. 40, 47% of your day, you're probably on autopilot just getting through the day. But what if we begin to open our eyes to the world around us? What if we begin to be mindful of others? What if we begin to serve like Christ? What would it truly do to our schools and to our workplaces if we didn't wait till tomorrow to say, one day, Pastor Heath, I'll really get into that Jesus stuff. One day, Pastor Heath, I'll really start serving. One day, Pastor Heath, I'll really be bold. But what if tomorrow you just went home with a different lens on life and said, God, just be with me as I go throughout my day today that I could love other people like Jesus has loved me. Every opportunity, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, this is a verse for you to take home today. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every, everybody say every. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive to you, attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Make the most of every opportunity. Opportunity in your home, in your school, in your workplaces, at the grocery store, at the post office, with the mailman, with the UPS driver who's bringing all your Christmas presents like mine does every day of the week. I mean, just make the most of every opportunity you have. And number one way to do that is this. Be bold. If you want to obey God, you and I both are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we would be, in Ephesians 5, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That we need the power of the Holy I can't do this on my own. And the Bible says that the flesh cannot please God. And I know that Heath Harris cannot get to heaven without some help from the Holy Spirit. I can't love other people enough to go. One, I don't have that much love in me because some people just are some people, right? Uh, And it's hard to love some people. And it's hard to go against your prejudice. And it's hard to forgive others. It's hard to be bold enough to go across the aisle. But I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And it comes from asking Him that I have to take a risk. 
I got to be bold enough. This is courage. I need courage to talk to a stranger in a restaurant or a waitress. I mean, just the, the, the that person is there at your table and to just think, God, when's the right moment? God, should I talk to that person now? Is it is it weird? Am I going to come off like a fanatic or or a freak or some weird hyper spiritual person? But I need the boldness. I remember um, when I got into campus ministry. I was on a university campus uh, in Columbia, Missouri, and one of the things our, our uh, pastoral team challenged us as student leaders to do was we would go door-to-door uh, on these freshman dorms. And uh, just to make a long story short, one, I hated it. <laughs> that was about it. I didn't want to do it. I hated it. I feared it. And here I am, a, a senior in college, going to talk to a freshman. What am I scared of, right? They're the new people. Uh, but yet, go to these dorms and just knock on a cold call, hey, I'm I'm from, you know, Chi Alpha Campus Ministry. We're just here. Welcome people to our school, blah, blah, blah. I'll make a friend. And, oh, is that an Xbox? Let me see how, you know, you can kind of get in the door and and talk to a freshman about Xboxes, right? And so I I befriended this young man, and and I began to engage him and invite him to my small group Bible study. But, man, it was a hard road, and he got very involved in all these other things and ended up dropping out of school, and I never saw him again five years later. Five years later, after being bold and, and pursuing him, five years later, I get an email I'd forgotten all about this kid. I had done this thing and mentored these dozens and dozens of kids on the university campus. And I get an email five years later and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me or not, but this is my name. And I want to thank you for pursuing me and coming to my dorm room that day. Because what landed from that day is I ended up dropping out of school, getting off in drugs. I ended up finding a person that would take me to Teen Challenge, got out of Teen Challenge, and now I'm called into the ministry. And if you hadn't pursued me and planted that seed... I wouldn't be here today. You don't know if we would just be bold and step out for Jesus and do things that make me feel uncomfortable and to be a fool for him that we might win someone to Jesus Christ. So be bold. Number two things you need to do this week is be likable. Start there. Be likable. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's here to help you walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who wouldn't want to be around a person like that, right? Be likable. You know what that's going to do? It's going to give you a good reputation at work. People are going to like you, even among the world. You know, the Bible says that being likable by the world, now the world's going to hate us too, but it says a spirit sign of spiritual maturity to be a leader in the church is that you have a good reputation at your workplace, Did you know that? To be a mature spiritual person, you should have a good reputation at your workplace. Even goes on that that means the world should see you, Titus says, as submissive to authority. The world should see you as obedient, ready to do good work. The world should see you not speaking evil about anybody at your workplace. That they should see you avoiding quarrels, being gentle and courteous in your environment, your school or your work. Be likable. Because Jesus, all kinds of sinners love Jesus. And I'm sure you're around sinners all day long. I know I am. I work at a church. No, no, I'm joking. Uh, right? We're, we, should, we should be likable because we're gentle. We're, we don't fight. We don't quarrel. We don't talk about other people. And people should know that about you. They should know that, man, if I tell that person something in confidence, they're going to keep it. If I share that I'm having trouble at home with my spouse, I know that so-and-so, they're a good person at work to talk to because you are the church at work. And they should like the church. Be likable. Number two, or sorry, number three, be approachable. Be approachable. They should see you as gentle and respectful in speech and should want to talk to you. 
The Bible says in 1 Peter, you should always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for why you have the hope you do. What does that mean? Take that backwards. That means that people should be asking you for something that's living inside of you. It says that they should see some kind of hope for tomorrow, a hope in a better day, a hope in a better future, that that you believe that this world is not all there is, that there is real joy, there is real love, there is real peace, there is real security in knowing Christ. And they should say, man, what is it inside of you? And it says, be approachable. Communicate things, don't debate them. That's a good one for Facebook. Communicate things, don't debate them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to who? To everyone. You should be able to teach people. You should patiently endure their evil. You should correct any opponent with gentleness. And maybe God is going to grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they could come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. He says, Just be approachable. Be a person that when they come with questions, you're not arguing the way they think. You're just telling the truth. Let them figure it out. Let the Holy Spirit work on them. We're not posting slanderous things on Facebook about other Republican or Democratic parties. Come on. They're not going to approach you. You think a liberal Democrat's going to come talk to you after you ranted about them on Facebook? Oh, I'm stepping on toes now. Let me be honest. You out there slandering homosexuals, I know what the Bible says. But be approachable. Be a person who says, that person would cross the street for me. They would bind up my wounds. They would take me to a hotel. They would pay that fee. And they would come back and check in on me because that's the kind of person that person is. That's what he's saying. Be likable. Be approachable. Be a person who's gentle and respectful. Get out of the worldly debate. Get out of all this junk and garbage in the world that's putting out there and hate and division and strife because that's what sells on TV. But we should not be that way. Amen, Pastor Heath. Be likable, be approachable. Number four, be an example. Be an example. You're an example of Christ everywhere you live, everywhere you work. Bible says you should be self-controlled and upright, godly living, waiting for his return. That everything you do, Colossians says, is an illustration of how you're worshiping Christ. That means how you deal with your teachers, students. It means how you deal with your parents, students, adults. How you deal with your bosses, how you deal with your spouses. You know, the Bible speaks a lot. Paul spoke a lot about him being an employee. He talks about slavery, but in a sense for us, it's employees. Maybe you feel like a slave sometimes, but employees, it says this. Obey your bosses with a sincere heart, just like you would obey Jesus Christ. Ooh, ouch. It says don't argue with them. Don't talk bad about them behind their back. Don't just work hard when they're looking. We'll stay right there just for a second. It also means bosses. Watch your speech, how you talk about your employees. You demonstrate the authority of Jesus Christ to your employees. You should treat them with fair and justice. You should likewise not talk about them behind their backs at home, complaining about your employees, complaining to a friend or coworker. You know, small town is going to get around. You talked about somebody, right? I remember uh, working at the MU bookstore on the university campus, and uh, and I had that privilege and opportunity that during that two years there that I was. Uh, overseeing the book textbooks for we were we did textbooks for about twenty eight thousand people, and uh, as I worked there for some time, I would always get the opportunity to begin to train the new people, and uh, a couple of such guys I began to do that with, and it was always this good one on one time to invite them to our church services and our discipleship, our small groups, and begin to do that and live that life with them, and and I was always debated by atheists and 
ridiculed by what I believe in my faith because it's a very liberal, very, very secular campus. And uh, as I began to befriend some of these guys, and thankfully three of them would end up coming and be a part of our ministry. One would, would go on to be a, a Sunday school teacher in a church outside of St. Louis. The other today is uh, on the missions field in Indonesia. You, you have probably met him. He came a few months back or a year back. Uh, but it's that those times that when you could be alone with someone and say, God, it's just me and them. And I remember uh, Mike Towers, a good friend of mine, one of those young men, and he was a Catholic and he was, had no answers, very religious uh, upbringing on, the, on the, uh, just the religion side, not the experiencing of Jesus side. I just remember uh, talking to him and there was a, something inside of him that God was doing already and I just partnered along with it. I didn't even really realize what I was doing, but as I began to invite him to church and invite him to my small group, there was an eagerness there and I just kind of grabbed a hold of that because he'd come to college to figure out who he was in life. He didn't know where he was going or what he was doing or what God was, and he had been thinking about God, and I didn't know this, but I just took a leap of faith and crossed some really boss employee lines, probably that I wasn't supposed to, and began to invite him to church. And then later on, I would take him out for coffee and, and Dairy Queen and ice cream, and we were coming back from uh, uh, gathering one night, and I just remember I was picking him up, my little Ford white pickup, and I dropped him off at his dorm, and he just asked me before he got out of the car, hey, what is this personal relationship thing you guys are always talking about? Well, Mike, I'm glad you asked, right? Because just being with a person and being an example to them sometimes is, is connecting with God in a whole new way. Like, God is already working. I'm not doing the work. It's Him. He's the one saving their soul. He's the one speaking to them in the night. He's the one that, as they turn on the radio, that God's speaking to them. That There's things going on God's doing all the time. But if I could just say, God, I want to be an example. I want to be a person that, by I, as, whether I'm a boss or an employee or a student or a teacher, that I can be engaged that they know that's a person to go to who's got some answers in life. Number five, be generous. Because you've received the grace of Heavenly Father, we should be the most generous people on the face of the planet. He, the Bible says that He has lavished us with His grace. We should be eager to do good. The Bible says we should be zealous for good deeds, good works, ready to share, to be generous, store up our treasure in heaven. That means we should be a people, yes, who's visiting the sick, who's caring for the orphans and the widows, who's binding up wounds, who's feeding the hungry, who's clothing the naked. That's what we should be known for as a people, not just in a church sense, but my family. My family should be engaged in that. Myself, I should be engaged in that, doing good. Number six is this. Be ready. Be ready. It's so easy to think, God, I'll be ready to do this kind of stuff when I get more training or when I go to church longer or when I take some leadership classes with Pastor Heath or I go on a missions trip or, God, when I get more bold, maybe I need to learn more of the Bible. Maybe I need to go down front and pray longer. God, I mean, I'll be ready one day. When my kids get older, I'll get more involved in church. I'll tell you something, it never gets less busy in life. In fact, the world's spinning up faster, it seems. You're going to be more and more busy. It's, you can't wait till your kids get older or you get more time or you get more money or anything like that. It's that are you a person that says, God, I'm going to be present today. That today is the day I'm going to say, God, I'm going all in. That I know you have opportunities around me to be present 
and pray and plan for opportunities. The Bible says in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. That at any moment, Paul told Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. That means when you don't even know that you're on the clock, Christian, be ready. You don't know when someone's going, God is going to put somebody in your path that today is the day that they need to know about Jesus. And you can't be going on a rant. You can't be cussing. You can't be, you know, saying things you shouldn't be saying when they're ready to approach you about, I want to know Jesus today. That Christianity is a 24 hours a day, seven days a week, put on the badge, I'm on the Great Commission, I'm on duty. Because it's about He has loved me, so therefore I love others enough to go. That did not change in my life until I got this thing that we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Where God just became so tangible in my life that it, His power, His strength, His love, His joy, His, His presence just became so real to me that he began giving me more boldness than my fear. And every day I struggle with fear versus that boldness and caring what people think versus that boldness. But I, had, I experienced God this way as a teenager. And the first person I ever led to the Lord, probably the most memorable person I've ever led to the Lord, uh, was a name of, uh, guy by the name of Michael. And again, in high school, a very shy, quiet person. I was a goody-two-shoes, sat in the back of the classroom, didn't have many friends, did my straight A's and went home, kind of a deal. Uh, very, very social anxiety, take Pepto-Bismol to take a test. Man, I just, you know, crowds, I had a big thing, social crowds, Christmas shopping malls, really had a, a big deal about that. Anyway, so I had been living this life of a Christian in front of this guy. Me and my good friend were trying to witness to him, and he was a Chris Farley figure, if you know who that is. Maybe you shouldn't, but if you do, that's who he is. Anyway, he's just jolly, fun guy. Everybody loves him, and, uh, but he was hurting on the inside. And he would go out and drink and smoke marijuana and go to these parties. And, and, but on the inside, man, he was la- everybody loved him. And, and it's just like these figures. You see these Robin William type figures that, man, they're joy. Everybody loves him. But on the inside, man, they're hurting. They're broken. And nobody knew it. Nobody knew what he was really going through. And late one night, I had come home from a church. I, I, that, just recently, I'd gotten filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I'm online. And he begins to message me. Stupid stuff at first. And we begin to talk. Late into the night, he began to talk and just tell me really, really where he was. His mom and dad's divorce, what he was going through in his life. He was ready to quit and give it all up. And here I am. I don't know much about the Bible. I mean, I grew up in church, but I don't know Scripture. I never led him by the Lord. don't know what I'm doing. And the Holy Spirit just began to give me the words to speak and encourage him and what I knew best. And then little did I, before long, I said, hey, would you just call me? I want to pray with you on the phone. Heath Harris never prayed with nobody. I didn't get up and speak in front of anybody, and I didn't play an instrument in front. I didn't even, no public speaking, okay? He called me on my phone. I prayed the sinner's prayer with him. Man, he was crying. I was crying. I hung up the phone. Kid you not, I got on my bed and started jumping up and down. Because it was the most joyful, exciting thing I had ever experienced in my life to lead someone to Jesus Christ. The best feeling that money could never buy to lead him to Jesus Christ. And you know what would happen? He would kind of go up and down for a long time. And he, you know, he, would, he would send me an email about 10 years later. He said, I won't forget what you did for me that night. I, maybe I've disappointed you here and there because he kind of went up and down. But he says, don't forget you made an impact on me. I even have the email. I saved it. Just a few years ago, before he reached 40 years old, 
Michael died of a brain tumor, or sorry, stomach cancer. And, and he left this world before he ever got into the full prime of his life, never got married, never had kids, young man. But I know that I will see him again. You don't know who you need to impact. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to speak boldly. You've got to have the love of the Holy Spirit to have compassion when that moment strikes because we don't know. There's a young man in our parish that lost his life in the last several years. It wasn't a month before he lost his life. He emailed me saying, I want to get my life wrecked with God. A month later, he lost his life in a car accident. God is always working because in this story, you are only one of two people, really. There is all of us who are broken on the side of the road, destitute, headed for a devil's hell. Our wounds were bleeding out. And there is a Jesus and those who would be like him and follow his example to come along and bind up the broken and the hurting. That's what we're all about at Sanctuary, to be a church for the broken. I don't know where you are today. I'm going to ask Miss Stacy to come back on the piano. I don't know where you are today, but maybe you're on that side of the road. Maybe you are the destitute and the hurting and the broken, and you're bleeding out, and you're crying out, somebody please give me a lifeline to Jesus Christ. And we're here to tell you today that He is there to take you in, to bind your wounds, to heal you, to set you free, to give you a life that is worth living, a hope that never fails or never dies, that you can have life and life abundantly because God so loved you, He sent His Son to die for you. And I pray that as Christians, church, that we would be so in love with God and so filled with His Holy Spirit that we would begin to love people if it, even it means taking a risk. That evangelism is not something we do, but it's a people that we are. Where are you today? Which person are you in this story? Some of us are so religious and so busy, we're justifying ourselves saying, I go to church. I pay my tithes. I do the churchy thing. We're passing people every day on the side of the road that are hurting and broken. Maybe you're the broken. God's got something for you today.